Thanks, Haley. Thank you. All right. So we are in, uh, as we've said, as we've prayed this morning, we're in Palm Sunday, the final Sunday of the church season of Lent, the 40 days that lead up to uh, our marking of Jesus's death on Good Friday and then his resurrection on Easter Sunday. So that means next week's Easter. We hope to hang out with y'all here at the Davis Theater or online on Easter. And uh, what we have been doing for uh, Lent is uh, our, our theme uh, over the, the, this is the second annual, is giving up false beliefs for Lent. You're giving up unhelpful beliefs for Lent and not going back to them as we might uh, if we were to give up chocolate or something like that uh, for Lent. Uh, these last two Sundays, last week and then today, we're focusing on this phrase, sinners in the hands of an angry God, which is from a random sermon preached in 1741, which most of us don't know, but I think that phrase evokes things that people know today. Uh, we are sinners in the hands of an angry God. It's kinda, it kind of feels like it, it, uh, it, it uh, pokes at things maybe that you experienced as, uh, as, as a youth or perhaps that uh, somebody you know experienced. One of the biggest sticking points for people feeling desire and invitation into faith, where spirituality is, a, is something that gets them up in the morning, it is the best part of their life. One of the biggest sticking points to that is this view that God is, at a fundamental level, angry. Angry with our sin. There is, there's love, we're taught usually as well, thankfully we're taught that, but there is this anger that characterizes God fundamentally, and so our images are like... God is a, a ruling king with a scepter in whose presence we must grovel, you know, grovel in my presence, right? Or, or, or like more modern metaphors, like God is, a, God is a traffic cop, you have to like pump the brakes. Oh, God's over there, I don't want to get a ticket, you know? Uh, or, or God is the, the librarian looking over the rim of their glasses at you. Shh, you know, that's God. These are our views of God. So often, uh, angry God views, we think um, they, they, they come out of probably two Christian beliefs most specifically, and this is what we're going to talk about today. One is hell, which we've deconstructed a fair amount already in this, in this uh, series of, of giving up unhelpful beliefs. Um, so you can go back and, and listen if, if you, if you want to hear more about um, hell and what, what, you know, what do we do with that. Um, but the other is what we're going to talk about today. It's, uh, the word is atonement in theology circles. And this is the word that theologians use to talk about what is happening with Jesus' death, the crucifixion. Why is that important? How do we interpret what's going on there? What, what, what does it mean that Jesus died for you? Atonement. So that's what we're going to focus on today, this word, atonement, the cross, Jesus' death. Uh, this has actually been a routine for us for the last several years, um, talking about the crucifixion on Palm Sunday, because this, uh, this begins us into the march toward Good Friday. That is this Friday when we mark Jesus' death. And so we want to talk about it to kind of help people feel that they can mark that with meaning and significance. Uh, and then uh, speaking of uh, Palm Sunday, which kicks off Holy Week, uh, a tradition for many is making crosses out of dried palm leaves, especially if you grew up Catholic. And so we have several uh, dried palm leaf crosses at the center table. If you want to grab one, you can take that if it feels like an invitation into you know, remembering or prayer this week. Okay, so to help us talk about um, atonement, this, this, this idea behind God being angry, I'm going to invite up a friend of mine, Brad Fruhoff. Let's bring up Brad and give him a hand. Thank you, Brad, for coming up. 
Uh, Brad, you may know, is currently leading an online discussion group for us. He's one of my favorite people to talk uh, about God and faith with in our church. And he agreed to do that in front of a microphone today. So thanks. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so, Brad, you've spent a fair amount of time in faith settings. Mm-hmm. And um, I wanted to, like, just to start when we think about this sinners in the hand of an angry God, God is angry. Um, what are your experiences with that? And, and how have interpretations of Jesus' death in particular been connected with your experiences with that? Right. Uh, yeah, I, interestingly... This is one of those things that, like, as a kid, I got the mixed messages and had to reconcile for myself. Okay, mixed so, messages like, feels like my experience, too. Go ahead. Yeah, you yeah. get you hear of, like, the Noah story, and it's like, oh, geez, like, God would just wipe everybody out. But, like, but I guess we're okay because everybody's at church is being like, Jesus, and God loves us, and it's, everything's okay, mm-hmm. right? Like, mm-hmm. So uh, I had to kind of, like, figure out, like, for a while there, I think my, my version of that as a real young kid was just, like, Old Testament stuff is like not as important, <laughs> basically. Yep, yep, like we yep. just don't need to worry about that because like the important thing is Jesus. Um, the the one of the I mean, there's many moments where uh, I encountered this, had to deal with this, you know, angry God, angry God yeah, yeah. model. Um, interestingly, also another way that I had I, I had internalized it was the the God who kind of like. A little bit like your traffic cop yeah, <laughs> metaphor, yeah, like he's yeah. kind of constantly correcting me. Like there'd be moments when I knew I said something or did something wrong, and then I would like bump my head. Not long afterwards, I'd be like, "Oh, maybe God's, oh, God's be, getting God's my attention." Getting you back. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, oh, that's interesting. And, uh, yeah. and I guess that's a good thing, right? Uh, so yeah, for a while I did it that way. Uh-huh. Uh, there were l- plenty of ways that I was moving away from the sort of Jonathan Edwards version of the angry God. Yeah. Um, I know one important moment, though, when I was like, this is a weird theology that I'm not <laughs> into, is I was teaching college English at, a, at an evangelical free school that has a like, very um, well-known divinity school. And uh, one of the, one of the uh, divinity school professors was doing a chapel and he's a guy who, if you've studied theology and like evangelical or even like reformed theology, you've probably read this guy. Okay. He writes big, thick um, theology books. And uh, he's up there talking about his daughter's friend had committed suicide. Mm. And his, he's comforting his grieving daughter, it's like high school age daughter. And, you know, on her bed, and she's crying and he's comforting her and she's. She's saying she's worried her friend is going to hell. And this man in that moment decides to walk her through why it's just that she goes, that her friend is going to hell. Oh. And I'm like, I'm sitting there at a chapel with all these college students going, this is the message? Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. when your grieving daughter is like coming to you and afraid for her friend's soul, yeah. you're trying to justify what's going on here. Um, I was like, yeah, this is not. I need to leave something, this. Something's yes. wrong here. Yeah, this is not yeah, okay. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that was... <laughs> that That's was certainly an, a standout uh, moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, so then I had to come through and find, uh, I think I was mentioning once when I was up here, um, the, uh, the idea that the Bible is full of, the Bible models for us this way that we get God wrong mm-hmm. and then keep trying to, like... Mm-hmm. But like moments of who God really is kind of peeked through. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And 
yeah, the more I've dug into that, the easier it's been to go back to the Bible and read mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Like, to okay. allow it to model for us what's wrong, not just what's right. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, that's good. That's good. Yeah, I my own experience with um, angry God. I, I I did not grow up in like um, very uh, super spicy American Christianity as as many in our church did. I. Um, so later on in life, um, it's, it's all very like, I ex- start to experience God uh, for the first time going to church as like an 18-year-old, and it's powerful and amazing, and I've shared a lot about that uh, for our community of, of it was, uh, I was grieving the loss of my mom, I had this kind of experience of like, oh my gosh, I'm not alone, like, I, I can be okay, even though this world-rocking thing has happened to me. Um, so there's all of this experience of love, and, and, and certainly I got lots of messages and teachings about God being loving. Um, what was hard for me, though, is that um, when we would, there, there was always, I, I also seemed to have to inherit this interpretation um, about God's love that was wrapped up in the Jesus' death story mm-hmm. that was particularly um, challenging for me. So um, we mentioned this theological world, atonement. um, And I've learned since, uh, as I've become a pastor and learned a lot about this, that there there was a specific view about the atonement, about what Jesus' death means. What does it mean that Jesus died for me? That I was inheriting because it was being taught to me by the churches that I was in. And I wonder, it's probably what most of you would know. Um, So maybe I'll I'll give my like kind of brief rundown of it, okay? So here we go. So it goes like this. God loves us, okay? But we are sinners, so God is also extremely angry with us and wants to punish us. Really, the punishment we deserve is death, but if we make a worthy enough sacrifice to appease God's anger and satisfy God's wrath, he'll settle for just one death and he won't kill us. But we humans, we just cannot seem to, to make you know, a, a worthy enough sacrifice on our own. So God you know, says, when you want something done right, you do it yourself. So he sends Jesus to be the worthy enough sacrifice, satisfies his anger by killing Jesus. And now because punishment was dealt out, he doesn't feel the need to kill us anymore. Remember, God loves us. <laughs> That's sort of the message that, um, that I think I, I inherited. And yeah. that just didn't seem to match with this experience of like, I was grieving and I was brought out of that by a God of love who saw my grief mm. and carried me into a kid who was not going to turn and take that grief out on others, but was going to like move beyond this and become yeah. a whole person even so. Yeah. It's just like really different. <laughs> yeah, and if you, uh, I don't know how many of you have had this, I, was, I, went, I went to Portland State University um, for a while in my, my master's program and I got a, a guy stop me and say like, hey, do you have a few minutes? And I was like, well, literally like a few minutes, but like, let me see where this is going. Um, and he had like a tract and he showed me the one with yeah. the, um, the, the, there's like two, there's like a gulf between these two cliffs. Um, and the idea is that we're on one end of the gulf and, and God is on the other end and our sin is separating us. Like, and we, we can't cross that mm-hmm, gulf mm-hmm, by ourselves. Mm-hmm. And then you like, as you're t- describing it to the, the person you're proselytizing to, the cross kind of fills in the gulf there and there's like the bridge. Uh, so Jesus bridges that gap so we can, we can be connected to God. Um, and there's this, yeah, the idea, and this is kind of what happens in Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God in the actual sermon, is that he's trying to, like, press on that gulf between our sin and God. Because if God is holy and perfectly good, then he can't, 
sort of be in the presence of anything less than holy. Right, yeah, right. So that's the idea, I think, behind those theories. So I feel like, I mean, how many, as a, as a show of hands, we're even going to do a show of hands this week, have experienced some sort of message like that before? Okay, so nearly everyone yeah. in here, right? So that is, I mean, that's essentially, I think, synonymous with the word gospel in most American Christianity, is that, yeah. that message right now. And what we're going to be pitching here is that that is not the only way to understand Jesus' death. It's not the only way to understand atonement. It's not the only way to define the word gospel. In fact, that story, that, like, it, seeing that as the grand story, this, that kind of, you know, God loves you, but there's sin, and God needs you to, or Jesus needs to fill that gap. That has only been the story that we've told about, like that, that, that Christians have told for the last 500 years. And before that, the story was different. And start, and beginning to become more present and, uh, and, and having more voice are different stories now today that tell, that tell the, the, the story slightly differently. And we, we were talking like there's, I'm certainly one who as I'm deconstructing and reconstructing, not, you know, I'm very cautious about throwing babies out with bathwater. Um, it's just the greatest analogy ever. <laughs> it is. It's just very, it's very yeah. visual, yeah. right? Um, I happen to know somebody who dropped a baby. Um, <laughs> uh, and so I, I, I'm, but what's interesting to me when, when looking into this stuff is that there are tools within biblical scholarship that can lead you to different stories. Mm -hmm. Like you don't have to just be like, I don't like that story and I want a story that I like and that looks like my my own worldview. No, there's actually like good historical, linguistic, cultural, and theological reasons for like having other stories. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's part of what we want to try to unpack a little bit. Absolutely, absolutely. So, so our thought now uh, is for, uh, so part, part of my, my uh, you've maybe heard me share about this kind of uh, quest that I have I have been on for most of my adult life, experiencing God as a God of love, but then inheriting a lot of um, traditional interpretations that don't necessarily uh, match for that. What are the other interpretations out there? What are the other stories that we can tell about Jesus's death in particular? That has been a, a, a quest for mine. So we, I've, uh, we have Brad up here to kind of grill me and ask me questions about like, what else is out there? Like, is this the only way to understand what the gospel is or are there other ways? And my hope is that we can kind of all come away with Hey, here's some here's some other things to put in the closet that you might try on for size and see if it fits you better. Yeah, and well, hopefully, like we'll get to like rethinking the whole Easter Passion narrative. Um, yeah, the, like the what's actually going on and how we how what we reading. Do we remember and, this week. Yeah, how do we yeah. how are we what are we thinking and feeling as we're mm -hmm. reading that? But mm -hmm. um, so before we get there, you said, of course, your personal experience was a strong reason to question the angry God yeah. theory. Um, do you? have go-to sort of biblical and theological reasons you question the angry God. Yeah, yeah, that's, uh, I, I think a go-to idea for me that, um, that feels core to the Jesus tradition is um, the, the idea of the incarnation, actually what we celebrate in Christmas. What we celebrate in Christmas is that God comes to humanity and is not far from humanity. God is among us and with us in a deep and full of solidarity way. And one of the challenges that I've always had with this idea that God, like there is that gulf and God is holy and so far other from us and we can't bridge the gap, is it, it's, so, it, it's, it's the opposite of that message. There's so yeah. much distance between us. And I think um, 
what, what I have tended to experience is kind of uh, that picture, that story of what's happening with Jesus's death paints a picture of a sort of split personality God. Because it's like, if, if Jesus is God incarnate among us, like showing us what God is really like, but Jesus is like this humble, merciful, like, you know, willing to self-sacrifice. Uh, but then God is like, God is like angry father who like needs somebody to get punished and needs somebody to die. And we see these kind of, it's a split personality and mm-hmm. it doesn't feel, mm-hmm. it doesn't feel like what the incarnation is trying to drive home of this idea that Jesus shows us what God is like. It feels like Jesus and God are kind of at odds yeah. in, in that, in, yeah. in that I story. I think that's true for a lot of people. So I've, that's never sat well with me. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, and that's where I figured you, I think that's where a lot of us go is the life of Christ. Um, and the, the fact of Christ, if we call it incarnation, right? Yeah. Um, and actually, like people who have had trouble with this idea of the the worldly or the bodily is unholy, have tried to argue that the incarnation is something else. Like Jesus only came as light and only appeared to be human, right? The uh, was it docetism. Um, oh, I've never even heard that before. Oh, it's, no. it's well, actually, like I think is it? There's a, one of our Christmas carols is actually like a slightly docetic, <laughs> <laughs> um, in that like he's really just light. And, and like all the images we have of like the light coming out of like the cradle, um, mm. the, the um, it, but like so like this idea of like or some people argue the idea of a virgin birth is the same thing that like Mary couldn't have been sullied by sex um, uh, that that would have you know would have somehow tainted Jesus's purity and holy, holiness. Um, the but there's there's another way to read it is just to say like no God is saying like it's not bad to be human yeah, yeah. <laughs> like it's not bad to be born it's not bad to and then jesus is constantly being accused of hanging out with sinners right 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 um and if god can't be around unholiness like what is he even well, then what is, is he it doing? yeah it seems like god the father and jesus are different people but but we're they're supposed to be the same so i just i think that's one of the reasons i i, I just can't i i'm looking for other stories because that story yeah. doesn't seem to account for that yeah and then so then you're, you kind of contrast like violent atonement theories, which is like God needs Jesus to die to sort of make, because nothing else will satisfy him mm-hmm. unless something purely good is sacrificed. Mm-hmm. Um, you contrast it with a nonviolent atonement, which is not that there isn't violence because there's still crucifixion, but it's not God's violence, right? But like yeah. unpack like what what a nonviolent, what, what you are looking for in a nonviolent atonement or so, how they work. Yeah, so this is, this is I think, um, there, there are lots of versions when we talk about other stories or other things to see in that crucifixion, like what we remember, what we walk out this week when we get to Good Friday and then when we get to Easter Sunday. What's happening there? There are these ways that we're familiar of reading it with, uh, like where Jesus is a substitute for us and God is committing the act of violence on Jesus, so to satisfy God's need to punish. Um, that, what that does is it makes the violence in the crucifixion, because crucifixion was a, was, was a, was a violent form of execution in the Roman Empire. Like, this is something that happened. It is, it, is, uh, it is sadly not unlike at all the lynchings that happened in Jim Crow era America. And so, uh, so this idea that, um, that that violence that's happening there, God is behind it, that's, that, that's like the traditional read of, uh, in, in, in American Christianity. And uh, that, the, the violence, whose violence is it? It's God's violence. It, yes, the Roman Empire is doing it. Uh, yes, there are a bunch of you know, pe- uh, people in the Jewish uh, diaspora there who are like, yes, uh, he should do it, but, ser- but actually God's behind it. That's what they say. And what, uh, what I think is really important, there are lots of versions of this view. Uh, they're 
we can we can talk about those if we get to. But uh, but there are a lot of new versions of understanding of what does it mean uh, what what does it mean that Jesus died that are nonviolent or anti-violent, and so it shifts the demand. From, uh, the demand for blood or the demand for punishment or the demand for violence away from God and instead it's saying human beings we often demand blood and violence and uh, and so uh, we we um, anytime we sing a song about the cross here at Brownline Church we, you'll notice that we have a little footnote in the corner because this is so ingrained in us that when we sing about the cross when we sing here is love vast as the ocean and we're and we sing you know, on the mount of crucifixion uh, love was poured out was love poured out because God was angry, and once God settled that anger by killing Jesus, then the love could be released. Or is, is, is the story different? Is the idea that so often human beings want to kill and want to, want to satisfy their need for violence, want to scapegoat, as we talked about several weeks ago. Here is the reason for our problem, so we're going to kill them, and then that will settle everybody's need uh, to feel like somebody's to blame, and then we'll be better. And what we see in, in, for, a, for a nonviolent atonement is God enters into that in Jesus and says, if you're going to kill somebody, kill me. So as to protect the poor, the oppressed, those who are usually scapegoated. And then to expose the madness of this system of like all of this idea that we can kill or we can hurt or we can blame shift and that will solve our problems. It's going nowhere. Here, do you want to see how, how uh, you want me to expose how broken it is? You killed God. <laughs> that's, the, that's the idea of Jesus coming in and this being a nonviolent or anti-violent atonement. The, the violence that's happening in the story of the passion that we mark on Good Friday is not God's violence. God is not behind it. God is, is anti-violence and stepping into it to, to interrupt it and to expose it as broken. Yeah, uh, anti-violent is, is probably a better word than non-violent. Yeah, yeah, yeah I think that's right, anti-violent, yeah, yeah. 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 That's good. Um, so let's, yeah, let's uh, kind of unpack the, I, I'm curious, just like part of the background I'm thinking in terms of like the story we tell and the way we usually hear the story is um, uh, thinking of that Mel Gibson movie, Passion of the Christ. Have you guys, how many people have seen that? A bunch like of half, okay. yeah. Because uh-huh. um, that's definitely like got the usual elements um, and we're and I just remember so many people watching that and just like just like weeping and feeling mm-hmm. really convicted and in, like having really internalized that sense of like my sin put Christ on the cross. Mm, right. Um, that is that that's that substitution model, right? Jesus yeah. needs to step in because it was my sin that put him up there. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like and I and like I should be up there kind of thing. Um, I, like, that's, I think that's even like, I should be up there. Like, I mm. deserve that death. That's mm-hmm. really the substitutionary element. Because mm-hmm. um, there, I think in some ways you will say like human sin does put Christ on the cross, but not, not because we deserve to be up yes. there. Yes, right? yes, so let's So let's like unpack it a little bit. So in a relational, world, uh, relational theology, God is in relationship with us and has, and like, it, and is responsive, like he feels. So then does God get angry? Yeah. Is God yeah. angry about something? This is a great question. I, I um, it, maybe, can I go back one step before I answer that question? All right. Um, the, uh, I think an interesting um, critique that I often hear of anti-violent atonements, like we're talking about, mm is that they, they, they are maligned for being like soft on sin yep. or like explaining the way the hard bits because you, you're just uncomfortable with them. And I completely disagree. 
I completely disagree. Like these views, the, the view that I just like pitched about like what's happening on the cross is every bit as critical of sin and humanity, even more so in some ways yeah. than the substitution view because they're saying that the violence in the crucifixion is human violence. It's not God's violence. So it's very critical of hum humans being having the propensity to sin, right? Uh, and so this idea that's like, oh, well, you're just, you know, you're telling a story to feel better about yourself, and so you don't have to, you, you don't have to give people the bad news or something like yeah. that. It's not, it's not just separating us from God. It literally is killing God. It's literally <laughs> killing God and killing ourselves, right? Yeah. Like, the, I think, I think the, the, it's clear that we're defining sin differently yeah. in this way. Like, I do think that the definition of sin in the here's the chasm, um, it, uh, somebody actually put in the chat, this is great, uh, the, the classic bridge model, so bridge, the yep. cross bridging the, the chasm between the two cliffs where God is so holy and you're such a sinner. Um, the, the definition of sin there is personal purity, right? Mm. It's, mm -hmm. are, you, are you pure according to this, this objective picture of what yep. a good person is? Um, and and that's a we we have a different definition if we're taking the anti-violent uh, atonement approach. The, the 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 definition of sin here is more relational responsibility. We have we we are we are obligated to one another. We are each other's brothers and sisters keepers. You know, like a, to use the the line from Genesis. Mm -hmm. And we have we like uh, if if you are injured. I, that, that, that should mean something to me because I am in relationship with you. If somebody else is excluded or hurt, that should mean something to me because I am in relationship with them. And, and so that is, that's a, that's a, that's a thick account of like the, the propensity for sin. We talked last week about like what we, uh, when we were focusing on the whole idea of like sinners and, and this, this like, uh, we wanted to move away from the core thing about you being that you're a sinner. Yeah. And instead we wanted to say the core thing about you, the start of the river, I use this river analogy, the start of the river is that you're loved. You are by definition a lovable thing that is so deeply loved by God just by being who you are. Now down, down, down the line, there is the propensity for sin and blame shifting and hurting others and hurting yourself and, and, and doing all sorts of things that, are, uh, that we regret, right? That, that's, down, that's down the line, but the start of it is that you're loved. And so I think this, this allows us to have like all of, the, all of the ability to be critical of our propensity to hurt others, but it doesn't mean that, it doesn't mean that like God needs punishment in order for us to get beyond that. There's, it, it, there's something about like violence being used as a tool to save us from more violence. That that's what humans do. That's not what God does. Yeah, uh, Lisa Sharon Harper has a book called The Very Good Gospel. Okay, and it's actually it's about the sort of the this idea if sin is separation. She uses shalom as the biblical word for like the connection. What, what the alternative is is yeah, is relation yeah. yes. relationship is yeah. is connectedness and things being in a kind of harmony. Shalom being kind of like everything's rightly ordered in in proper relationship with itself. That's good. And that and she it's like it's us to God, it's us to each other, us to the world, us yeah. to ourselves, us to society. And she unpacks it in all these different. I like that. Uh, you could go in every one of those. That that's a relational responsibility yeah. understanding of sin. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. and then sin then is the anything that's severing connection yes right yeah, yeah. so then back to that question then does does 
uh, does something make, does God get angry and does what God makes get, him angry? Yeah, great question. So, so this is where we get into different versions of anti-violent atonement. So there are lots of, there are lots of things out there. I'll pitch one. This is one example. Uh, one is from uh, a writer named James Cone, who is the, the father of black liberation theology in America. And for, for Cone's anti-violent um, theology uh, of, 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 of the atonement, it's really important that God does get angry because God is angry at the, the, the pain and the suffering of the oppressed. And, and so when God, is, when, when God comes in Jesus and is on the cross, G, uh, uh, James Cone sees that as solidarity with the oppressed, with the poor, with the marginalized, with those who with their backs against the wall in society. And, and it is an act of defiance. It is an act that absolutely is motivated by, by anger at the powerful, at those who hurt without you know, accountability, at those who, are, who you know, just kind of run free and do whatever they want. And, um, and so in that view, like I can, I sometimes really want to, like if, if, if I'm giving you different clothes to try on, you know, uh, for uh, what, what does Jesus do to me? I sometimes really want to wear that. I want to wear that when I was talking this morning with some of our volunteers about the, the, the massive disaster that healthcare in our country is and just how difficult it is to get what you need. And I just look around at the powers that be and I just think, I can't change this. All I can do is call the number on the back of my Blue Cross Blue Shield card and hope for the best. And just how, how infuriated I get because my situation as a you know, Eng- first, Eng- first language English speaker, white guy, middle class, is this infuriating? How hard is it for somebody yeah. whose first language is in English, who doesn't have the, the nice policy that I have? Like that, that, you can even see me, I'm getting angry. Like, and that, I, think, I think that idea that the, 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 the oppressed are hurt angers God. And so in that view, now, you know, what does God's anger reveal? Does it reveal that like, and now I'm going to, you know, kill my son. It's like, no, I'm going to, I'm going to show it to the oppressors by, Mm. by coming in and choosing self-sacrificial love, even so with the solid, with, with, with those, with those who are most hurt. And you are going to see just how broken your system is because you killed God. So then the, because then we have the question of like, what's the What's the problem that Jesus needs to show up to address? Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So and it's it so, answers that question differently. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not it's not that we keep we keep separating ourselves from God. It's that we keep uh, severing relationships and hurting each other. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If we have the chasm thing, it's not like holy God is over here and all of us sinners are over here. It's like uh, here here are the oppressed. And here are the powerful, and they're like throwing things at the oppressed, and 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 the, and the bridge that Jesus is offering, or the cross is offering, is this uh, in 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 uh, James Cone's liberation theology, uh, a key passage is that the the humble will be exalted, and the yeah. exalted will be humbled, and so it's this picture of equity, right, of of those who who do not have getting what they need, and those who have who have had too much and been irresponsible with it or sinful with it, um, being being brought down. There's a Bible, it's called the Bible Project on YouTube. They have a video about, and they do a lot of like word studies in the scriptures, and they, they argue that the Hebrew word that we translate justice, possibly righteousness, um, is really about leveling. Hmm. It's, the, mm-hmm. it's, the, it's the idea of like, picture? Yeah, yeah, the mountains are brought down and the valleys are raised up. Is everyone familiar with this? Um, it goes around quite a bit on social media. It's, it's a visual representation of the difference between equality and oh, equity. Yeah. Uh, it's like people looking at, um, 
uh, looking over a fence at a baseball game, and the idea is, uh, equality is they all get the same crate to stand on to look over the fence, um, which doesn't work when, the, when those people are like at different heights. They have different privileges in this experience. And so what equity does is it says, well, somebody who is shorter can't see over the fence with the same thing that the person who's as tall as Brad has. And so, um, so in that case, they need more crates. Uh, and, and so it's everybody gets what they need is equity rather than equality. I think that's wrapped up in this view yeah. of Jesus' Jesus's death. There's a fourth iteration of that picture, which is like, I think they call it justice. Oh, okay. Where they take okay. the fence down altogether. Oh, I love that. Yes, yes, that's, <laughs> yeah. that's fantastic. You take the fence yes. down, the yes. thing that's keeping people apart, right? Absolutely, I love that. Um, I love that. Yeah, so, so Jesus comes to, well, in, in, I think when, if we look at Jesus coming to show us how much we're severing our own relationships and how much we're hurting ourselves mm-hmm. and, and violating the shalom uh, or destroying the shalom that God wants for us, um, it makes more sense of like why we need his whole life, mm-hmm. like why he couldn't mm-hmm. just kind of mm-hmm. show up and die right away, mm-hmm. like get it over with. Yes, uh, that's exactly right. Now we see that the, the cross sort of has continuity with the rest of Jesus's ministry and not like this weird different thing that Je- Jesus was doing all, the, all these things and then he sort of took a left turn into this crucifixion. Yeah, yeah. it's just like, here's some things along the way. Just yeah, like, I'm going to be loving and yeah. then at the end, we got to handle that punishment thing. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, no, this, this is much more, there's a lot more continuity. So right? I want to, you know, we got to keep moving. I, in the Empty Altars podcast group, though, we at the beginning of that series, they talk about, they make a differentiation between heroes and saints. And they mm. say the hero is somebody who shows up, it tends to represent sort of like the, you know, the core values of the community and shows up and kind of saves the day. The saint tends to be a more, and the hero tends to be sort of central to the community. The saint mm. tends to be marginal mm. um, or marginal in some way to a dominant Power, mm-hmm. um, they like affect from the outside, they, and they so there's their impact. From their power. their work is more of a, a long, faithful yeah. witnessing to yeah. a truth that doesn't necessarily succeed in saving the day. Yeah, but it's a witness that we keep going back to. Yeah. Now, I think is interesting about that. I tend to see a lot of um, some of the bad theologies we've been unpacking, yeah. and just even general, like a kind of uh, in that in evangelical theology. Um, a super Jesus, like super Jesus is hero. Yeah, he comes exactly. in, and he, we're always like praying. Like the idea is, you pray to get Jesus to come and like show up and fix everything. Mm, mm. And it's it, rather than like us sort of being faithful to something, yeah. even yeah. if it, even if we don't um, succeed in sort of worldly worldly terms, yeah, right, yeah. Because um, again, Jesus, the model we have is like Jesus doesn't like succeed in worldly terms. In fact, he doesn't succeed in Jewish terms. Yeah, like he, he gets killed. Like he's he's supposed to like throw out the Romans and be the new king. Um, but so I guess I'm curious if a lot of the, when you, the typical passion narrative is actually more heroic because yep. the, the cross is Jesus' victory. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the resurrection specifically is the victory over death. Um, and I don't know that we need to say like the hero is necessarily a problematic category I'm curious if there's if you if hero or saint um, in 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 those in that dichotomy, in an anti-violent atonement liberation mm-hmm. theory mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. a substitute or a, a scapegoat theory, is it a heroic act? Do we still is that still a good way to think of it? Is it a heroic act or is it a 
Faithful Witness Act. Yeah, the, I'm, I'm thinking about... And maybe it doesn't need to be either or, but... Well, I'm yeah, just... no, but, I, but those are helpful categories. I like that. I'm thinking about um, the beginning of uh, Paul's letter, 1 Corinthians, which we'll actually visit some 1 Corinthians next week for, for Easter, um, th- where the beginning of the, the letter is this... Uh, it's this, this musing on the wisdom of God is the foolishness of the world, uh, and the power of God is like ridiculous to the world. We, we want lofty, powerful, hero-type yeah. leaders. And, and the idea that the cross is victory is, I mean, like, is, is, like people hear that and they're like, what? No, you, you died, you lost. And the idea that that can be victory is, it's not glorifying victory, it's actually like trying to reframe victory. Of mm-hmm. like, it's a different kind of victory. And so I think that, um, I think that on these terms, Jesus would be more saint in mm. the, uh, you know, saint versus hero. But it is also trying to tinker with the idea of like, what do we, what do we even long for? What do we even, what do we even mm-hmm. hope for amongst our heroes? Maybe there's a different kind of victory that we can look to. And that, I mean, Easter Sunday is meant to be celebratory and victorious and, and reveling in that. And we're going to do a little bit of that, but we're going to do it from a perspective of victory being, being, uh, being foolish in the eyes of the, the wise of the world, but wise in the eyes of God. So let's you know, sort of put the rubber on the road here okay. yep. with yep. the actual passion narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, we kind of unpack some ways which like, where God might get angry and Jesus is coming to do a different thing. Mm-hmm. Um, he's retooling a lot of the um, received version of the story, um, even as we have it. If I'm reading the passion narrative, what do I, what is the, or how do you like sort of process, like what are the thoughts and feelings, what's at stake? What am I feeling as Jesus is being led to the cross when he's dying? What is the meaning of all that if it's not, I deserve to be up there? And uh, Jesus is going to take my place. So if the drama is not this cosmic drama of God saving all of humanity and reconciling us all to himself Mm -hmm. through a perfect sacrifice, Mm -hmm. um, and that's a story that has, like, it has a, it's it's kind of epic, it's cosmic. (laughs) It's like, it's the whole, the whole of of cosmos is reconciled to God through this act. and so it has a power that way, I think. Mm-hmm. What's, the, what's a powerful alternative meaning of, like, what's the way to kind of step-by-step step see that story and go, like, here's, what's, here's what this all means? Yeah, I, I'm thinking of, um, one theologian refers to uh, the book Night by Elie Wiesel. Mm. Does, it, does anybody know the book uh, by Elie Wiesel, the Holocaust survivor? Um, in, in uh, the, the theologian I think of is a, a post-World War II German theologian named Jürgen Moltmann. So think about post-World War II German. You are reckoning with, you just were part and parcel to the worst atrocity of the 20th century, right? Um, so he's trying to figure out a lot of these same questions that we're talking about today. And his pitch is sort of, the, maybe the, the headline for it is that the problem with, the problem that the cross is addressing is not human sin, it's human suffering. And he talks about this passage in Elie Wiesel's Night, where it's quite famous, where um, he is, uh, he's talking about his experience in a concentration camp, and they, he, he and, his, and his fellow 
you know, like bunkmates or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They are seeing a boy be tortured and brought to the gallows. I mean, it is like, it, it's not for the faint of heart. And, and Wiesel says that he overhears next to him, like a, a, someone behind him asks the question, where is God? Like, just, just absolutely distraught. Like, where is God when we're seeing this in front of us? And what, what Moltmann, this theologian, suggests, he says, it, it's, it's unclear exactly what Wiesel believes about that. But the two kind of ways we could say, you know, like with that distraught question of where is God, we could be asking where is God, like, like is, is anything going to stop this? You know, like, yeah, where, yeah. where is God when these things happen? That's why there is no God. It's like, I'm losing my faith when I ask where is God. But the alternative way that Moltmann recommends is where is God, what, what, what Wiesel says was, was in his heart when he heard that is God is up on those gallows. God is up on those gals with that boy. And, and this idea that that could mean that God is dying, right? He could, he could be saying, like, and, and see, this, this, is the, this, is, this is what's happening with my faith, is, you know, yeah, God, God's up there. God's being, God's being, is being killed and tortured. There is no God. But the alternative way to see it is a, a story of solidarity. It's, God, where is God? God is up there with the most in pain, the, the most vulnerable person, and, 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 and likewise for all of us in the ways that we have been sinned against or hurt, God is up there with us when we are a part of that story. And, and we also need to recognize, you know, on, on the other side of that is sometimes we are the ones that are turning a blind eye to that sort of pain or participating in that sort of pain. And so there is no, like, again, we're not pulling any punches here. <laughs> I still think relational responsibility is, like, it's not soft on sin, this idea that we just want it to mean whatever we want it to mean. No, no, it's very, it's anti-violent, right? It's, it is, if you are participating in something that hurts another, then, then you're on the other side of the cross. But the idea that, you know, this, this personal purity, everybody's in the same boat and we just need to have that, that gap bridged and then all will be okay. For Moltmann, that doesn't mean enough because the issue is not just that it's not just like everybody is nice to each other. The issue is that we all suffer, and we need a God who is with us in that. There's no person who doesn't suffer, even Jesus, and especially Jesus. So Yeah, well, and then, so this then is important to go back to that open relational God idea, mm -hmm. which says mm -hmm. that, uh, so what, uh, Thomas Ord is an open relational uh, theologian. He's got a book called God Can't. Yeah, uh, which I haven't read all of, but I've heard him refer to it several times. And the basic idea is like we tend to we want that omnipotent Superman God that can the that hero, we imagine yeah. doing like coming in and fixing the things that we don't like. Um, and his version of it is more like, well, no, he God actually created a real thing called free will, and so he cannot in unless unless he unless we unless like without destroying free will, God cannot violate the free free will of human beings, mm -hmm. um, which means we're not, we can't expect that Superman God to come in and just fix it. Um, we also could potentially like question whether like we would trust any one of us to like know which things need fixing all the time. But um, so if, if there's a sense that like God isn't the kind of God who's going to swoop in and just make it all stop because we don't like it, mm -hmm. or because mm -hmm. it's actually evil. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's mm -hmm. more than we don't like it, it's literally evil. Um, but that sense that God is actually there in all of it, mourning with us, right. 
and then also literally saying, like you said before, uh, we see Jesus coming to say, like, if you're going to kill somebody, kill me. Yeah. Um, if 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 this is what you need, like what like then then try then do it to me and see what you think, <laughs> uh, see how that works for you. Um, it's there is a sense in which we I, I think we can still feel um, when I th- when I'm thinking about it, like we can still feel a kind of um, horror and um, pain, personal pain of like things I do have separated me and others yep. from God. Yep, yep. Like, it's not, it's not wrong for us to be convicted of sinfulness in right. ourselves. Right, It doesn't therefore mean that, I need, that God needs, that God wants to kill me. Right, no, <laughs> Like, right. the meaning of what my sin, the meaning of my sin is different in this story, but right. it's, I'm still, I can still be upset that I am also constantly doing things that put Christ back on the cross. And that, but then, the, the the whole idea is if what is the what are the uh, values beliefs what's the worldview what's the mindset and the imagination that puts God on a cross yeah. that kills yeah. God yeah and there's yeah. different ways of thinking about that one simple dichotomy I was thinking about is um, that uh, Walter Brueggemann's prophetic imagination uh, he talks he just, he contrasts the prophetic imagination in the Bible with the imperial imagination. Imperial, yeah. And imperial imagination tends to want to control things, yeah. tends to want things to be orderly, tends to want to like understand and you know just like keep everything in line. Keep everything in line, and the prophetic imagination tends to speak out and speak truth to power and call out people. Mm-hmm. Um, in doing so, often it makes itself vulnerable, mm-hmm. and and then you get. The martyrs. <laughs> well, and then you get like this picture of power that is so different from that power you were talking about of yeah. like the superhero come in, but it is power, right? It is, it's just because it's not superhero come in, sweep in and just, you know, fix everything immediately. That power speaking from the margins, again, I go back to this idea of like, yeah, it sounds like foolishness to a world that loves to dominate, a world that loves to control, a world that loves a superhero story, but it's it's a power that's that that honestly that makes more of a difference and is and and is real and actually I can participate it in, so like that power, as much as it means that we have to redefine power, it's a it's a more attractive power to me. Yeah. So we can be perhaps if there's like a reflection or something to do as you're thinking about Good Friday, for instance. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Like one thing I could see would be like, what are the ways that I am severing shalom right mm, like you can mm-hmm, reflect on that mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. what are the ways in which it's right now we have like like secular political terms like what's my you know check your privilege right what are yeah, they, yeah. Right? that's this a is similar what, idea this is what we mean in spiritual so i actually have i have some ideas that we're going to leave everybody with here i'm going to put them on the screen here of um we are we're entering into the week where we reenact jesus's death and then we celebrate jesus's resurrection and what i'm encouraging us is to instead of substitution we are thinking solidarity. That's what's happening on the cross. Instead of a violent God, we are thinking about the propensity of violent humanity. Instead of personal purity, we are thinking about relational responsibility, this shalom idea, right? I like that. And then instead of an angry God, we are going back to this idea of a loving God. 
God, when God is, is entering into the story, it is, it's the same as Jesus' ministry the entire time. It is not suddenly, now I have to do the anger and punishment thing. It is all consistent with this picture of love. So, uh, so we leave this uh, with you this week uh, as, we, as, as, we, as we think about um, entering into Holy Week. Um, I would love to pray. I think we should pray. Um, if you would for, uh, take a deep breath with me, and we're going to pray as we close. God, for many of us, um, the interpretations that we talked about today are really ingrained. And we might read a text that, um, that one reads on Holy Week and immediately go back to all of those old pictures of what this means. It's going to take intentional reminders to us to shift out of that. So if we are longing for this kind of picture of this loving God, gently remind us. I pray for gentle reminders for all of us. You are the powerful God working from the margins, gently, slowly, sliding, new, moving us and, and, and directing us and luring us toward that better picture of what you're about. So do that with us this week. For those of us... Um, where this is less ingrained, but we're more just like, I don't know, we feel like we just want to say like, yeah, like three cheers for a different view of, uh, of, of, of what this means. Teach us what it means to spread this message. What does it mean to, to be someone who illustrates and demonstrates for those around us that Good Friday and Easter Sunday is not meant to leave people in that place of feeling like sinners in the hands of an angry God? It is meant to leave people feeling, oh my God, incredible, we are not alone. When we feel the most despair, when we are looking up at the worst horrific act of violence and just absolute destitute humanity, we can, we, when we say, where is God? We can feel, oh, God is up there with that suffering person. They are not alone. None of us are alone. We do not have a God that is cold and unfeeling to the hurts and the pains and the terribleness of this world. We have a God that is deeply invested, and resurrection comes after death. Death is not the end of the story. Teach us how to be people who pass on that story. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.